Christian Parent Crazy World with Catherine Seegers is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. Welcome to Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you raise godly kids in an ungodly world. I'm your host, Katherine Seegers, and today's episode tackles this vital topic, how to discuss sensitive topics with your kids and your friends and your obnoxious family members and less than friendly online acquaintances. Lots and lots of applications for the guidelines I'm going to share with you today. I think someone would have to be living under a rock these days not to notice how contentious the social and political landscape has become. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes it makes you want to live under a rock. But for those of us who don't live under a massive boulder, those of us who want to still engage in the marketplace of ideas and we want to do so with integrity, we want to maintain our Christian witness, and more than anything... We want to make a difference. We need some parameters, some guidelines to help us and to help our kids navigate these treacherous waters. Uh, you know, last year I, I read an article from a guy who was angry. <laughs> well, that's kind of an understatement, really. But he was very, very angry about a political sign that his father had in his yard during the last election. The vitriol, the condescension, and the judgment pouring out of this guy was palpable. He wrote a piece that went viral on the medium, and the title was, Today I Gave My Dad a Choice, Trump or His Grandkids and His Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Talk about a line in the sand. Now, I think that most of us want to move on <laughs> from the last election, and rest assured, this episode is not about that. But I also think that this polarizing view of people based off of their voting convictions or their theological convictions or their social positions is very dangerous and unhealthy for us as a society and certainly unhealthy for us in our families and in our friendships. Not everyone who voted on this side of the aisle is a, is a racist, homophobic misogynist. And not everyone who voted on the other side is a clueless socialist slash communist who is trying to destroy the country. We need to move past that type of myopic thinking and, and that type of rhetoric. It, it, it is often not accurate, not always, but often, but it is always damaging. I know. Look, I know. I know. Believe me. I know how passionate your convictions may be, and rest assured, mine are as well. Ask anyone who knows me. I can get pretty hot under the collar. And I have some very strong views that are polarizing when I express them the wrong way. And sometimes they are polarizing when I express them the right way. I am of the opinion that truth is offensive and polarizing it is exclusive. I will be doing a whole podcast on the issue of truth in the future, probably a series of podcasts. But we still need to have some guidelines, some parameters when speaking what we believe to be true. 
the Apostle Paul <laughs> agrees with that assessment. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul makes it clear that we can speak with the tongues of angels. We can have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And we can have faith that moves mountains. But if we don't have the right political and theological positions, we are nothing. Um, oh, oh, wait, yeah. Uh, looks like, looks like I read that wrong. That's, that's not actually what it says. It, it actually says if we don't have love, we are nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it says there. The good news is that the gospel is a message of love. This message tells us that God loves us so much that he died for us so that he can save us and redeem us. But the gospel message is also offensive. Yeah, yeah. It tells us that we are sinners and we deserve to die. It tells us that we cannot save ourselves and without God, we are hopeless. Yeah, that is pretty offensive. It offends the pride right out of us. If we'll let it. The truths contained in this book are countercultural. They are offensive and, and there's no way around it. We need some guidelines to help us express the truths in this book well, as Jesus would. So here are six ways you can discuss sensitive, even offensive topics with your kids and with, with everyone else. And these are certainly guidelines that we want to teach our kids to use in their discussions as well. Number one, the first thing we should always remember when discussing a sensitive or even an offensive topic is to listen. Really Listen, don't just wait for the next opening so you can get your brilliant point in. I have never been guilty of that. <clears throat> Not. So ask your child or your friend or family member to explain his or her position. Listen intently. Ask questions to clarify. If you spot an inconsistency, perhaps ask a question to help your child or that family member or Facebook friend find the inconsistency in their views. Believe me, if they come to that realization on their own, it will be far more impacting than if you point it out to them. Gracefully allow him or her to ponder the viability and logic of their opinions and be aware not everyone wants to have a discussion, especially online. Not everyone wants to be challenged. A lot of people want a pulpit. Not a productive conversation. Not everyone cares about sound logic or reason. They may not value what you value. If they don't, just, just walk away. But if they do truly want to have a discussion, then make it a point to listen and ask those clarifying questions. Plant a seed and let the Holy Spirit water it. And then, and here's the kicker, <laughs> humbly allow the Holy Spirit to do the same in you. Recognize that no one has all the answers from any perspective. We aren't God. Genuinely listen to that person who has a different worldview, a, a different political or social or theological position, and consider where your position is weak or, or not fully fleshed out or not fully considered or defended yet. This is a great way to solidify your views. Consider where that person may have an excellent point. Consider where you have common ground and build from there. Consider any questions that, that you aren't able to answer. If you get stumped with a question, own it. 
Write it down. Do some studying and praying about it and find some answers. But you won't know where your understanding is weak if you don't listen to what others have to say. And finally, consider where you might just be wrong. It happens to all of us. Sometimes we're wrong. And listening to other people can help us figure out when we are wrong. Remember, you will never reach someone and make an impact if you aren't truly listening to what they have to say. So listen. Number two, respect other worldviews, beliefs, and perspectives. Don't ridicule. Honestly, these first two points are <laughs> kind of obvious. They're, they're really no-brainers. But how many of us have been in a conversation with someone where the obvious <laughs> needed to be stated? Like the time in one of my Christian Facebook groups, a guy says to me, well, that is exactly the kind of statement I would expect from someone with ovaries. <clears throat> I am not kidding. I wish I was kidding with you, but I'm not. He really said that. You know, sometimes we are tempted to ridicule people, to make it personal, to engage in an ad hominem attack, and we're tempted to ridicule ideas and beliefs that we don't understand or are not familiar with. That That is unkind and unproductive, and <laughs> not to mention unchristlike. Now, obviously, it is always wrong to go personal like that guy did, to insult someone's gender or a race or ethnicity or even their, you know, education or their intellect. It's, that's just always, always wrong. But let's look at some beliefs that our kids might think are funny and they might be tempted to ridicule. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. 
Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, I, I know that reincarnation sounds pretty out there to someone who is raised with a with a Christian worldview. The idea that in a past life you might have been a cow, and if you aren't good in this life, you could be an insect in the next one. It would it would be easy to ridicule a belief like that when you aren't raised with it. But we need to keep in mind as Christians that some of our beliefs sound pretty out there to people of other faiths and other worldviews. For example, the idea that uh, that Noah built an ark that housed all of the land animals and they survived a worldwide flood, or that Abraham had a baby when he was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90, or that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and survived for three days, or that Jesus was born of a virgin and was crucified, buried, and resurrected. That's out there. Oh, <laughs> and let's not forget the practice of communion, where we symbolically eat Christ's body and drink his blood. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty out there for someone of another religious persuasion, and it is really, really out there for someone who isn't religious at all. We want other people to respect our beliefs and not ridicule what they don't understand, so we need to offer that same courtesy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is Matthew 7 verse 12. Now, I can hear one of my kids responding to that kind of admonition by saying, but people don't treat our beliefs as Christians with respect. That is true. (laughs) Quite often in society today, the Christian worldview is not treated with respect, especially the controversial, countercultural aspects of what we believe. It is at best misunderstood. At worst, it is misrepresented and even maligned. I know. I know. But the Christian worldview, our holy book, tells us to treat other people as we want to be treated. And then when we aren't treated as we want to be treated, we are supposed to turn the other cheek. Ow, ow, I know that hurts. Someone slaps you upside the head and the gospel say, don't let them slap you on the other side. What? Yeah, mm-hmm. that is what the gospels say. Now that doesn't mean we are supposed to be doormats and it doesn't mean we should ever submit to oppression or abuse. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we are not supposed to use the world's methods of communicating unfairly, even when those methods are used on us. Respect others. Don't ridicule. Number three, don't assume that you know what someone's motive is. Oh, Dear me, this is probably my biggest pet peeve when discussing a sensitive topic with someone else who I disagree with. I am qualified to judge someone else's actions or their ideas. I can call into question the efficacy of their position or the soundness of their logic, but I am not qualified to judge their motive. And they aren't qualified to judge mine. We know what someone's political or theological or social position is, and too often we assume that we know why they hold that position, but we don't. Let let me give you an example. I'll, I'll come up with a fairly benign one. Let's say that someone is against a certain spending initiative that some say would help the inner city schools, and because they are against it, they're accused of being a racist. 
That is one gargantuous step too far. Perhaps that person is familiar with other similar spending initiatives that were ineffective and they, and they want something with more substance. Perhaps they think the plan doesn't spend enough. Perhaps, 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 perhaps. The point is there are good reasons for being for and against the same piece of legislation. There are good reasons to be on different sides of social issues or theological issues. That isn't to say that there isn't a right and a wrong side to these issues. Many times there are. But someone's motive on the opposing side, perhaps even the wrong side, isn't necessarily something sinister. Consider this. God condemns sins like greed and envy in Scripture. But he doesn't allow men or women to administer a punishment for those sins. If you read the Old Testament, God doesn't allow a judge to pass a sentence on someone for being greedy or or envious. Why not? After all, God did allow the Old Testament judges to punish the sins of theft, of, of adultery and blasphemy and murder. Why not sins like greed and envy? You know, the Tenth Commandment tells us not to covet. Why then? Can't we punish those who covet? Because we're not qualified to. Judging greed and envy is above our pay grade because they are sins of the heart. God allows us to judge another person's actions. And and in a discussion, we may even respectfully challenge the efficacy of their ideas or the soundness of their logic. But God does not allow us to judge another person's motive because only God is qualified to judge the heart. Envy and greed are motives, and they may lead to a sinful action that can be judged, like, like say, theft, but only God can judge the heart. And let's look at the flip side. That reminds me of Les Mis, Les Miserables. You might have seen the musical or read the book. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite musicals. This, um, you might recall, the main character, Jean Valjean, goes to jail for breaking the Sixth Commandment. He stole. But he stole a loaf of bread. Not because he was greedy or covetous. He was hungry. Motives matter. And we shouldn't assume that we know what they are because we cannot know another person's heart. When someone supports a candidate or a social policy or a theological position, do not assume that you know why. Do not suggest that a person's position makes them a dot, 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 fill in the blank. Do not assume that someone's position is rooted in ignorance or or prejudice or hate. Challenge positions, not people. And politics and, and, and social policy allow that another person may have the same ultimate goal as you, but he or she genuinely believes a different method will better achieve that objective. Debate the method, not the motive, because you don't really know what motivates another person. You can only judge how effective their methods are at accomplishing the goal. Number four, don't be more concerned about position than people. With the, with the Christian worldview, we have a position that is often, more often than not these days, diametrically opposed to our culture, to the predominant worldview of our day. So naturally, we are starting off in a defensive position, and I believe that our position is fully defendable. 
To hear more clearly about how the Christian worldview is defendable, be sure to listen to the last four podcasts. I spent a lot of time talking about that. But defending our position shouldn't be our top priority. The person in front of us should be our top priority. Because trust me, that person is God's top priority. And and let me make a confession here. I don't always get this one right. I don't. Sometimes the person in front of me can be combative and, and offensive and downright rude, like, like that guy who challenged the intellectual capacity of every person with an ovary. Yeah. You know, usually this happens online rather than in person because people just say, all kinds of nasty stuff on online you might have noticed and and i am tempted sometimes to respond in kind and and on more than one of occasion i might have i i don't call people nasty names but i love to win an argument and point out where someone's position may fall apart logically and sometimes i'm not entirely gracious in doing that i have had some epic fails and i have repented and i'm i'm trying really hard to let the holy spirit guide my discussions both in person and out in social media because the goal of our exchanges as a christian isn't to win our goal is to reach the person sitting in front of us or on the other side of that screen with the love of god We must never prioritize our position over the people we are having a discussion with, people with whom we may disagree. In a a sensitive conversation about someone's deeply held convictions and beliefs, remember that the person you are talking to is deeply loved by God. Don't let their controversial beliefs or or their offensive comments, if they hurl those at you, obscure what they really need. And to be clear, <laughs> it isn't your enlightenment they need the most. It is Christ. Express your views in a way that glorifies the God who made you and the God who made those who oppose you. We must not be more intent on being right than being righteous. That means we must never prioritize our position over people. Number five, speak in love while never denying truth. I wrote an article a while back and in it, I wrote this line and, you know, honestly, to this day, I think it is one of the best things I ever wrote. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I didn't write it. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit whispered this into my ear. He said, love without truth is a lie, but truth without love is a weapon. Hmm. Yeah. Let that sink in. You know, I put it in an article, but actually, um, it was an online discussion. It was on a Facebook group. We were, we were discussing an issue that was kind of controversial. And I shared this with someone and I ended up putting it in an article later. But that's where this, this saying came, uh, came up. The Lord, I think, just whispered that to me. Let's, let's break that down a little bit. We can speak all the loving words we want. But if we fail to share God's truth with someone when we have the opportunity and when we've earned the right to speak truthfully to them, then we are speaking lies. But the flip side of that coin is equally true. Truth without love is a weapon. 
Some Christians bludgeon people with truth. They bloody people up with their, with their bullhorns and sandwich board method of sharing the gospel. Paul clearly tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, the passage I shared earlier, that we can be right theologically and yet still be wrong if we do not love. He tells us not to weaponize the gospel by presenting it without first showing compassion. If we do, we, we might be right on paper, but wrong, wrong, oh, so wrong in practice. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you will love, you will truly love, and you're going to be accused of hate. And you will stand in good company when that happens because, because they did the same thing to Jesus, said the same thing about him. But sometimes Christians can present a loving message and a loving worldview in a hateful way. And then we have completely and utterly defeated our purpose. Well, maybe not our purpose, but God's purpose. Love and truth are two sides of the gospel coin. You cannot truly love someone and lie to them, but you cannot speak the truth in a hard and, and calloused and hateful way and expect them to receive it. People who do that are usually more concerned about being right than being righteous. Love must always speak the truth, even if it is a hard truth. But the truth must be spoken in love in order to be effective. And finally, number six. This, this might be the most important one. Recognize that what persuades people isn't an argument it, it isn't even necessarily answers, although they certainly help. It is an experience. For this, for this point, I want to tell you a little story. You are probably familiar with a writer named C.S. Lewis through his classic book series, The Chronicles of Narnia. You may also be familiar with his nonfiction writing. Lewis was truly the premier Christian apologist of the 20th century. He wrote many books and, and was essentially one of the world's first podcasters. He had this, this 15-minute radio program that was broadcast across all of England during World War II, where he would give answers to some critical questions about the Christian faith. And people were asking them because times were hard. Yeah, it was really a, a tough time in world history. He was podcasting over 70 years ago. Those talks were eventually turned into a classic book called Mere Christianity. This book was voted the best book of the 20th century by Christianity Today. If you haven't read it, read it. Books don't get any better than Mere Christianity. But here's the thing, and this is so important. Lewis, who was brilliant, he was a renowned professor at both Oxford and Cambridge, he started out as an atheist. He vehemently rejected the very idea of God. And while the arguments of his closest friend, J.R.R. Tolkien of, of the Lord of the Rings fame, they were compelling, ultimately, it was not an argument that persuaded Lewis. It was an experience with the living God that changed his mind. Here's what he said about that experience. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen College, Oxford, night 
left a night feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work. The steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That, which I greatly feared, had at last come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. That was my very poor attempt at a British accent, you know. I'm pretty sure if I could spend some time across the big pond, I can nail it. But I live in South Alabama now, so you'll just have to cut me some slack there. But you see, it was an experience with God that changed Lewis's mind. Not an argument. Then he set out for the rest of his life to explain that experience to others, to help answer the questions that plagued their souls, to explain the logic and reason foundational to the faith he now held so dear. We need to create fertile soil. For that experience with God to happen in the, in the lives of our kids and in the lives of those around us. Yes, answering someone's questions is important. But what that person you are witnessing to needs, what your child needs more than anything, is an experience with the living God, just like Lewis. That is what I talked about in episodes two and three of this podcast. If you missed them, please go back and check them out. We have got to help our kids have an authentic experience with God. And I'm going to keep coming back to this topic over and over. We will have podcasts that answer critical questions like the ones that I've been doing on worldview and the do's and don'ts in scripture. And I've got a lot more planned ahead because we must be able to humbly answer the questions that our kids and others have about the faith. But we also need to create fertile soil for them to have an experience with God. So we're going to have those kind of podcasts as well. Keep tuning in. And we're going to build that foundation that combines experience with knowledge in order to find wisdom together, in order to build a really solid faith for ourselves and for our kids. So here's a super quick review of those guidelines for your conversations on sensitive topics. Number one, listen, really listen. Number two, respect other people's beliefs. Don't ridicule. Number three, don't assume a motive. Challenge methods, not motive. Number four, be more concerned about people than your position. Number five, speak in love while never denying truth. Number six, recognize that what people really need is not an argument It is an experience with God. I want to thank you for joining me today. I know, I know, there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now, and I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review? That would be so helpful. Oh, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you could put a Christian Parent Crazy World ad on the door of the bathroom stall in your favorite restaurant or, you know, just any restaurant or store or 
sporting venue. Never underestimate the power of a captive audience. <laughs> Just a thought. And be sure to check out my website, which is katherineseegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. To hear more from Katherine Seegers, visit her site, katherineseegers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a rating and review in your podcast app? It really does help us connect to more listeners like you. A special thanks to Kelly Gibbons, Stephen Sanders, and Stephen McGarvey for their production and editing on this episode. You can find more podcasts like this over at lifeaudio.com. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.